If you have been around church for a little bit, you read your Bible, I think that there are like certain things that you should know about, just like all these facts. It's like, ah, I think I should know this, and I've heard that, and that sounds really familiar, but I'm not sure if I can answer it correctly or if I could explain it. And <clears throat> from what I understand, you guys have been in a series about the kingdom of God, and that's kind of one of those things when I read the Bible, um, I go, yeah, I know what that is, sort of, but I don't know if I could explain what it is, or some of us just go, no, that's like a totally foreign language. I have no idea what the kingdom of God God is. And so um, I want to be interactive tonight. Is that okay? Can we be interactive tonight? Okay, good. So, um, so far for the last, was it three weeks? This is the fourth week of the series. Third week of the series. Matt is the only one who knew that. That's a problem. Okay. Uh, The kingdom of God, if you could give us a brief, rough definition of it, what would you say it is? All right. Anybody feeling brave enough to try to give us a definition of what the kingdom of God is? Nobody. Wow. You guys are, what? Well, okay, true north. Let's see what you got here, buddy. What do you think? Kingdom of God is what? It's like everybody in here. Everybody in here. Go give me more. Okay, so I just feel like a community of people um, following the Lord and Jesus' word and um, building up God's church, like, through here, because we're like an embassy, the church is in. Don't steal my thunder, bro. Don't steal. You're trying to preach my message right now, aren't you? All right, all right. Anything you want to add? Uh, All right, fantastic. You did a great job. That's good. Thank you. Uh, Okay, so kingdom of God, it's one of those things that, and you did a great job explaining it, is um, it's one of those things that we know it has to do with Jesus, and it has to do with us, and it has to do with us coming together, I think, and us like making Jesus like Lord and things like that, but um, it's one of those fuzzy topics, at least it is for me, and so Jesus comes along, and the first thing that he says, and maybe this is review, and, and probably this first chunk will be review, but he comes along, and he has this message, and the message is not... I've come to die on the cross for you, right? We know that that's eventually what happens, but he preaches a message, um, and it is this. It says, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. And so within the context, everybody who he was speaking to understood what the kingdom of God is. And they would understand the theological and historical context and what that's a big deal. But for most of us, we're kind of lost. And even those of us who have studied it for a while, we can sort of give you an idea of what the kingdom of God is, but it's a little bit fuzzy. And so let me review just really quick what this is and then, We'll kind of move on to a new topic. So the kingdom of God um, is one of, uh, one of two kingdoms. And it is the idea that uh, there are two, I think, I like to think of it this, two kingdoms in conflict. And so if you go back to the beginning of the Bible and you see these big themes, you see that Jesus lays out two kingdoms. Here's what he says in John 18, 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And so Jesus sets up this idea that there are two kingdoms on earth. There is the kingdom of this world, and then there is the kingdom of God, or in other places it refers to the kingdom of heaven. And so let me give you the background, kind of the big, big story of the Bible. The big story of the Bible is we have creation. You see this in Genesis, and it gives us a layout of, of how God created it being good and who he created us to be. He created us in his image and to be um, in a relationship with him. But then we quickly see that um, after creation, there is this thing called the fall. And the fall is where man decides we don't want God to be the king, the king over creation or the king over our lives. We want to be in charge. And so we rebel against our creator and we go and we set up a kingdom in opposition to his kingdom. And that is the kingdom of us. That is the kingdom of me. That is the kingdom of now. That is what the scripture would call uh, the kingdom of this world. 
And so the ruler of the kingdom of this world, although we would be the ruler of our own lives, overall, the kingdom of this world is, is ruled by Satan. And so Satan, um, being the ruler of the kingdom of this world, um, continues to bring destruction and decay and this thing called sin has entered and is why everything just seems so messed up in the world. It's why we know that the world should be a certain way in which, but it is not. And so there's a set of values. Just like any kingdom, we have values. So we are in a kingdom of sorts, and that's the United States. And so what would be a couple of the values that our kingdom here would have? Which, give me, just, just shout them out. Can't murder anyone. Okay, so there's some kind of a human value in this kingdom, which is not true of all kingdoms of the world. What other kingdoms, uh, whatever values do we have in this kingdom? Money. money. Okay, unfortunately, we ask, you know, we do have this uh, value of money. Uh, what are some of the things, like, what are we in pursuit of? Instagram likes. You know there's an actual pursuit of happiness and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, there we go. There, there. So there's this idea that we are in pursuit of liberty and, and happiness, and one of the values that we hold um, most is freedom. And so these are values that are unique to America and to other Western cultures, um, but not necessarily to all the kingdoms of the earth. And so within these kingdoms, these two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, there is a value system. And so in the value system of the kingdom of this world, and some of you guys already shouted this out, is um, the kingdom of the world values things like power and success and money, and achievement, and whoever can have the most toys by the end of their life, they win, and whoever gets to experience the most pleasure in this life, um, they, they have uh, succeeded. It's the kingdom of me, and this is, a, uh, this is such a natural thing for us. If you're not a Christian, you haven't been around the church for a while, um, when you hear about the kingdom of, the, of this world, it sounds so familiar because it is what you were born and raised to believe in. So the kingdom of this world is all about um, getting, um, getting more stuff, uh, using our bodies the way that we want, having relationships that are going to fill us up and make us happy, having careers and schedules. It is all about building up my kingdom. And so what's funny is we are, uh, we are little kingdom builders from the earliest of ages, it's, and it's a kingdom of our own. So uh, my example for this would be my, my own kids. I think kids are a great example of human nature because they haven't really been taught too much. You get to see what their natural disposition is. And so on a daily basis, I hear one of my kids fighting with uh, their brother or their sister, and usually it ends in some, someone's been hurt. Someone has been physically uh, wounded in this altercation. And uh, we have to put somebody in timeout. Somebody's got to get privileges taken away. And it is always, almost always, over one specific issue. They touch my stuff, right? They touch my stuff. They're in my space. And I'm like, look, you're three and five years old. You don't have stuff. I have stuff that I let you borrow, right? Those toys, you didn't buy them. Actually, we get in a fight all the time with my five-year-old. Um, she tries to tell me that that's her room and this is her house. And I said, well, if it is, you better start paying the mortgage pretty soon because I'm pretty sure... I'm paying the bills around here. I, son, daughter, no, okay. Um, but it's just something intuitive. It's something about our human nature in which we are about ourselves and about our business. And that's because we are um, citizens in the kingdom of the here and the now, the kingdom of this world. And so if you were to look at the kingdom values, it would be things like wealth and comfort and beauty and success and fame and, and power. And we would avoid things like weakness and sacrifice and grief and exclusion. And so if we were to have heroes 
of this, uh, of this world, it would be people who have accomplished all of these things. This is the athletes, this is the famous um, celebrities and musicians and those who are wealthy and successful because they have achieved what we most value in this world. They are comfortable, they're wealthy, they're well-known. And so the ultimate goal of the kingdom of this world is gonna be happiness. Is If you were to ask the average person on the street, and I've actually done this, and I have some friends of mine who are in not Christians, don't go to church, and I ask them, what is the purpose of your life? 99% of the time, they're going to say the purpose of life is to be happy. And so we are all pursuing happiness. But then Jesus comes along and he says, so there's this kingdom of the here, the now, the kingdom of this world, and all of its values and goals and pursuits, and that kingdom is actually on its way out. Because I, with my coming, am bringing a new kingdom And he says, I'm bringing the kingdom of God. And so he's setting up these two kingdoms in opposition of one another. And so when Jesus comes, he says, the kingdom of now is actually going to fade away. It's not going to last. It's because the kingdom of God has arrived. And so what he does is he sets up, and um, Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, he says it's the upside down kingdom. There's the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, and they are in complete opposition to each other, even down to their very values. And so the kingdom of of the world would be like this. It says, um... Instead of being the rulers of our life, now Jesus is the ruler of our life. Instead of living for ourselves, we live for him. Instead of our will being done, it's his will. Instead of rebellion against God, it's reconciliation to God. Instead of death and decay, it's eternal life. It's just that I'm setting up this kingdom and everybody is invited. Everyone can be a part of it. You can live in this kingdom here and now. And there's, of course, going to be a set of values. So the values of the kingdom of this world is going to be that you want to be strong. Instead, you need to be weak in order to enter into my kingdom. Some of us, we believe that it's about being prideful. It's about setting ourselves up. It's about being boastful in our accomplishments. He says, if you want to enter into my kingdom, you have to be humble. Yes, you can acknowledge the gifts and you can use those to um, their fullest capacity, but realize that it is not you who has done those things. It is me who has done them through you. Instead of celebrating our sin and rebellion, and if you don't believe we celebrate sin and rebellion, just take just 30 seconds on Instagram and go to that little icon that has the magnifying glass and hit search, and you're going to go, wow, we do celebrate sin and rebellion. Because the people who get the most likes are the people who are wearing the least amount of clothes. And so, yes, we are pretty much uh, celebrating our sin. Is that too close to home? Did that just get real for some? Okay, my bad. I'll make it about somebody else next time. Um, it's gonna get like, it's gonna get real, real in a minute. So you guys might as well just loosen up a little bit. It's okay. We still live each other. It's okay. No, all right, all right. Jesus comes along and says, um, instead of you being the ruler of the kingdom, I am now the ruler of this kingdom, which means I'm the ruler of your life. And so there's this idea that the kingdom is here and you can live in it, but it's not fully yet, right? So it's the idea that you can live under God's authority and will today, here and now. And yet the whole world is not under that authority yet, but he promises that one day everyone will be, that he will come and he will recreate the heavens and the earth and he will inaugurate this new kingdom into the world. And the entrance into that kingdom is is not through anything that you can do. It's not through any accomplishments that you can make. It's not even where you were born. The entrance into this kingdom of God is only through Jesus. He says, I'm the king of this kingdom And you can live in the kingdom here and now, but you have been a rebel against my kingdom. You set up an opposition to me, and so you are going to need to pay a penalty, a penalty that you can never pay, and so I will pay it for you, and that will be your entrance into my kingdom. But you must lay down your arms. 
You must lay down the rebellion against me and you must submit to me as your Lord. In Ephesians 5, it sets up um, this next big part of what the kingdom of God is. And so that's kind of the theory behind it. And if you haven't caught that and you're like, oh, that's really deep, it is deep. So don't worry about it. But here's the next part. He says, if you want to live in my kingdom, you have to be a part of what I have set up in the kingdom of God. And he says, the thing that he has set up in the here and now is called the church. In fact, in Ephesians 5, it says that Christ died for, not for individuals, although he did, of course, but it says that he died for the church. And so the church is a really big deal in the kingdom of God. Now, you, when you think of church, you probably think of something like this, right? You're in a building, they do some music, um, they, people get together, maybe they do whatever. That's like your uh, image of, of church. And yet when he talks about church, he's talking about something far more profound. So let me kind of rewind and go back to the beginning of how this whole church thing started and why it's such an important part of um, God's kingdom, so in Matthew 16, if you've got your Bibles, you can open it up. Matthew 16, you got your Bible app, you can open it up. You're not a Bible person. Here's kind of the layout. Is you've got four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four stories written by eyewitnesses, some of them being the very disciples of Jesus, that give us the insight into Jesus' life. They give us the very words of Jesus, kind of what um, he spoke about. And so here's what it says, Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? So Jesus traveling around, he's doing miracles, he's doing these teachings that some people don't understand, but they sound pretty interesting. He's had this authority that uh, is like nobody else. And so people are talking about this Jesus character. And he knows there's rumors going on about Jesus. Everybody has an opinion about Jesus, which is kind of true today, is if you ask anybody, everybody has an opinion on Jesus, who he is. And those who are actually informed and have thought um, about who Jesus is, they either love him or they hate him because he makes these crazy claims about himself and he makes you make a decision about him. And so you have to have a pretty strong opinion about him if you've ever actually thought about it. And so he says, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying? Verse 14, he says, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Now, this is kind of weird. John the Baptist is his cousin, if you remember, and he was probably, uh, he was recently beheaded uh, in the timeline. And so how is it that you are cousins, you guys hung out, you knew each other, and yet you're sort of like coming in the spirit of John the Baptist, not like reincarnation, but maybe you're, you're, you're like him, your, your, your attitude, your, your, uh, your mission, your I don't know, somehow you're John the Baptist. I, I don't get it. The others say you're Elijah, and that's an Old Testament prophet. He died hundreds of years before. Maybe you're coming in his spirit somehow. Again, it's not, maybe not really reincarnation, but you're in the spirit of Elijah, or uh, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I, here's the deal. The bottom line is, um, we know that you are from God. We just don't know who you are exactly. Everybody realizes you walk around with this authority. You're able to do these miracles. You're saying these things and claims about yourself. And we're not exactly sure what it means. At least everybody on the street does it. We know you're from God, but that is about it. And then Jesus turns around and he asks the question. And I believe that this is the question of life, not just the question of the story, but this is the question that every human has to answer. Here's what he says. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And see, that's a question everybody has to answer. Who do you say I am? I'm a liar? Am I a lunatic or am I Lord? Continues on, it says, all of a sudden, Simon uh, Barjon, he jumps in, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, 
To you and I, this is a, a big claim, but it doesn't really get the, the gra gra gravity of the situation because what he's claiming is you are like God incarnate. Now, can you imagine telling one of your friends like, ah, you know what, man, I'm pretty impressed with what you're up to these days. I think you might be God. Okay, that's a big claim. Like I, I may have a godly bodily, but I don't, I don't know. You know, like I don't, I don't. I think that's a little bit much. And so he, uh, he replies with this. He says, "Ding, ding, ding! Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, but my Father in heaven." He says, "You got the right answer. Now you didn't get it on your own. You're not that smart. You're not that clever. God revealed this to you. But at the at the end of the day, yes, the claim that I am the Messiah is true." And so he continues on. He says, "And I tell you that you are Peter." Now, reverse back a couple of verses. He says, "Wait a minute." Um, my name is Simon Bar-Jonah, not Peter. Where did you get Peter all of a sudden from, right? It'd be like, hey, Matt, what are you up to? Oh, okay, cool. So your name's Jonah now? Why? Nah, I was just feeling it today, you know? Just feeling like your name's Jonah because it's a good day today. I want to mark this day as the day that you became Jonah or Bartholomew. I probably would go with that, Bartholomew. Why? Because he made this statement and he wants to mark this occasion with something significant. What's more significant than a name change? And so he says, your name now is Peter. And to us, that doesn't mean a whole lot, but um, it, uh, in its original context, it means stone. That's not the coolest name, by the way, name change. I would have been like, and you, Thor. You know, like, okay, yeah, I could go with that. Well, what's up? Like, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of Thorish, I think. You, Thor, or you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so he's saying, you got the right answer. We are going to mark this day with a name change because it's so significant. And then he introduces this new concept. He says, yes, I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to build my church on that big, crazy boulder of a statement that I am Lord. So when we think of church, we think of steeple, we think of building, we think of people. What is the thing? How do you do it? Uh, here is the church. I can't remember. Do you guys remember how to do this? You don't remember this from junior high or from like elementary school? Here is the steeple. Here is the doors. Open it up. See all the people. You don't remember this? You guys need to get to Sunday school. So when we think of church, we think of steeple people, uh, buildings, all that kind of good stuff. But in the original context, in the Greek it means a gathering, assembly, or congregation. And so ecclesia in the Greek is not a, uh, a religious word. We think of church as a religious word, but back then it wasn't. It was just a congregation, assembly of people. Uh, and it was used in different contexts. And so um, if uh, a city was going to gather its citizens together to talk about matters, it would be a, a, a church, an ecclesia. In the Old Testament, we had all of Israel gathering together before God, and that was an ecclesia. And so what Jesus is really saying at the end of the day is, I am going to launch this movement and it's going to be a movement of people who come together, and the thing that they all have in common is they are going to declare that I am the king, that I am the king in God's kingdom, and they're all going to bow down to my authority, that I am going to be their God, I'm going to be their leader, I'm going to be their, their Lord. Now, you've got to imagine within this context, we got 2,000 years of history, and we know about the, the resurrection and all this kind of stuff, but imagine sitting kind of in the middle of nowhere with 12 guys, and your friend says, guys... I'm going to start this movement that's going to transform the world. Like, I am going to be the defining moment in history. That time is literally going to be divided by my life. 
and it's gonna turn the world upside down. That's a pretty big statement. And he says, this is what's gonna happen is there's going to be all these groups that meet throughout the whole entire world and they're all gonna declare that I am the king. Okay, so real quick review is we have these two kingdoms. We have the kingdom of God and we have the kingdom of this world. And both are here and they are real and they are present and we get to choose which kingdom we are going to live in. Will we be a citizen in the kingdom of the here and now or will we be a citizen in the kingdom of God? And so here's what this kind of looks like if we look at the, uh, the kingdom and we look at the church. The illustration then becomes, and um, where did he go? Where did he? Oh, he already heard the message, I guess. He already knew it. He got the right answer, so he was out. The kingdom of, uh, the, 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 the church becomes in the kingdom of God like an embassy. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to an embassy before, but I had the privilege about no, 10, 12 years ago to go to an embassy in England. And what had happened was we were on our way to Africa. We were taking about 40 people on this missions trip, and we get off to, uh, to get on the plane, uh, that, uh, that transfer on the plane to Africa, and we were in England. And as we were getting on the plane, one of the people realized, I can't find my passport. Now, if you lose your passport in a foreign country, that's a bad deal, right? Um, because they won't let you go anywhere. You're pretty much stuck. And so we had to send the whole team off to Africa without us. And then well, it was actually with my mom, myself, and this person. We had to go into London, which took a couple hours and a few hundred dollars, spend the night there a couple of nights, go to the American embassy, apply for a new passport in which they would give us a temporary one, and then fly to Africa and try to find our group in the middle of Africa. Super fun time. And so uh, what's funny about this, and this is so strange to me, is if you've ever been in an embassy, all of a sudden you go from, I am in a foreign country that happened to be England for us, and then once I step over this imaginary line, I am back on American soil. It's so bizarre. It is so weird. It's because they have set up a kingdom or a country within another country, and so I am able to step out of one country into, the, into another because of this thing called the embassy. Now, that's exactly the illustration that we're getting from the scriptures, is that the church is like a country within a country. Here we have a gathering of people who declare that Jesus is king. We live in his kingdom, and yet we are surrounded by an opposing kingdom everywhere that we go. And so when we come together, we become uh, citizens of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, a kingdom in a foreign land. And so if we are people who belong to a foreign uh, kingdom with a different king, and we step foot, and when we come together, we are an embassy, what does that make us as individuals? So think about this. What do people who belong in an embassy, when they go out into the foreign land, they are What? Ambassadors, there we go, ambassadors. And so the whole thing goes, uh, breaks, or uh, the whole illustration goes that when we come together, we are an embassy. We represent our king to a foreign land. And then as we go out as individuals, we become ambassadors for our kingdom and our king. And so that, uh, that kind of puts, for me at least, a, a whole new spin on what it means to be a Christian. Because when I go out there, and I've, uh, I, don't, I don't see them anymore, but they used to have these stickers on cars that says, like, not of this world. Do you, ever, you remember that? Back in the, yeah, okay, hey, yo. They were with WWJD bracelets somewhere. Um, but, uh, but that's kind of the idea, right, is I'm not of this kingdom. I am a, a citizen of another kingdom. 
And so as ambassadors, we are to go out and we are to represent our king well in the world. Matthew 28, 18 says this, and you're probably familiar with this verse. It says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. So this weekend, we were able to baptize about 75 people, which is incredible. 75 people, yes. And... Um, and we do that because the purpose of the church is to go out and to get more citizens of the kingdom of God. And when people are being baptized, what they're saying is, I am going from the kingdom of this world where I once was a citizen and now I'm entering into the kingdom of God in which I declare that I am under Christ's authority. And that's kind of the mission statement of the church is it says we're supposed to go out there and the terminology we use around here to keep it really simple is we're supposed to go deep and wide. It means that we're supposed to go deep in our relationships, we're supposed to go deep in our commitment and our deep in our understanding of Christ and we're supposed to go wide um, with, uh, with his word and to make disciples. And so that's kind of the, the purpose statement or the mission statement of the church. But I wanna boil this down even more, right? So we've got the church, we've got the kingdom of God, we've got the embassy, Welcome back. We've got, uh, we've got ambassadors. We've got kind of our mission of what we're supposed to do. But then there's also, then this is what I love about the scripture. It gives us so much insight into how we are also supposed to interact with one another. So what does it look like to have life within the embassy, within the church? And, the, the, and I could do a whole sermon. And by the way, you're getting like a whole series of sermons, like in one. So if it just feels like you're drinking from a, a, a water hose, this is why. But here's what the, the New Testament says. It says that those of us who declare that we are citizens in the kingdom of God, the way that we're supposed to relate to one another is like family. So when people come and they were, um, um, there's tons of people around Jesus and, and he's got crowds around him. There's this one time in the scriptures in which his, his actual brother, sister, and mother, they come over and they're trying to get his attention. And so as they're trying to get his attention, they send word, hey, Jesus, um, your, your mom's outside. She really wants to, your brother's outside. They really need to, to talk to you right now. And you know what he says? He says, no, 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 my brothers and my sisters are right here with me. And what he was referring to is those who are his disciples, those who are part of his kingdom. He saw those as a more intimate relationship than those of which he was flesh and blood with. The scripture goes on to um, reference the faith that we have is not a, just a personal faith, but it is a, a corporate faith. Paul calls all the people that he's writing his letters to brothers and sisters. He uses my Lord one time and he uses our Lord 53 times. See, he sees this faith as being a faith in which, yes, you have to make a personal commitment, but once you have done that, you enter into um, a, a family, a group of people who are not only committed to Christ, but are committed to one another. And so I'll give you just a little bit more background information. When Paul says brothers and sisters, that is the most intimate relationship that you could have uh, within that context. Because those were people um, that were, of course, your, your family members, but those are people that were going to stick with you for the rest of your life. So for us, uh, probably the most intimate relationship we have is going to be our, our spouse, right? But they didn't necessarily choose who they got married to, right? A lot of them had arranged marriages, and so of course the spouse was a huge deal, but their family was an even bigger deal. And so when he referred to them as brothers and sisters, he was saying, this is, like, this is as, as, as tight as we can get. We are as close as, as humanly possible um, because we are one in the faith. And Acts 2 gives us this really beautiful picture of how 
the early church related to one another. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to uh, anyone that had in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so here's the picture of what the church is supposed to look like. And we see this from day one of the formation of the church. It is supposed to be as if, um, and this is the best illustration that I can think of, is you are so excited and so committed to the church and to the church family that it's kind of like you are uh, infatuated with them, like a, like a teenage girl would be with like somebody. Okay, so maybe you can remember back to being 13, 14, 15, some of you guys do this to this day, um, is when you, when you first get this new boyfriend or girlfriend, you are just like, you know, you just think they are the best thing in the world. You quickly will realize that they're not. But when you first meet them, you are just head over heels. You text them all day. You're just like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? I'm sitting. Oh my gosh, me too. That's so crazy. We're so into the same things. Um, for me, it was, uh, we didn't have text messaging back in the day. I didn't get to text until I was in uh, college. But um, but it was like we would sit on the phone, and at some point, like three hours in the conversation, when you're in junior high, you're just listening to each other breathe because you have no more words anymore, you know. And she's like, "Are you still there?" Yeah. So okay, cool, sweet. Uh, you know, I just you just talk for hours, you know. And then you go to school. You won't talk at school because that's intimidating. But then we'll talk another three hours when we get home and whatever. And it's like you can't get enough of each other, and it only lasts for a little bit. It's the honeymoon phase. We get that. But that's kind of what the picture is being painted here with the early churches. The early church was so committed to one another because they had this faith in common that they just wanted to spend all day together. It says that they met on a daily basis. They had everything in common. They were open. They were sharing. These people were their family. And so some of us, um, when we think of church, we think of it maybe as an event, a place that we attend. But when we talk about it being a family, that is so foreign to us. In fact, when we talk about a family, it may bring up some pretty bad memories of what family looks like, and we don't need another one of those. And so let me just give you a few things to think about uh, as we end. Is this whole church thing kind of boils down to, yes, it's a very interesting um, image that is painted, but it boils down to a couple really uh, important takeaways. The first one is this, is everybody has to decide what kingdom they're going to live in. Everybody has a side. So you're born into the kingdom of this world. It's natural. And unless you do something about it, that is the kingdom that you will live in your entire life. And yet Jesus says, you live in a time in which you get to pick which kingdom you want to live in. And then you will, whatever kingdom you choose, that was going to echo through eternity. Will you live in the kingdom of now where you are in control? Or will you live in the kingdom of God in which you declare that Jesus is Lord? Second thing I think is that um, we have to commit to his family. When we think of um, families, at least in its purest form, um, Jesus wants us to be able to relate to one another like that. And so there's kind of two people, I think, that struggle with this. Um, and they're on a spectrum, and they're the opposite of each other, but they both have commitment issues. Here's the deal, is I see on one side, and I've been in church my entire life, so I've kind of got to watch the different types of people. One side likes to just date the church, 
right? Is that, is that heretical? Does that sound heretical? Where they just date the church, where they're just like, yeah, like they're cool and stuff, but like we're just talking, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not ready to like say that they're my church, you know, like, but they're like super cool. So like, that's great, <laughs> you know? And it's, you know what I'm saying? It's almost like, I have a phrase that I want to use, but it's super inappropriate and we record this, so I'm not going to. Um, let's... <laughs> Okay, you're gonna have to pause this. Um, church kind of becomes like a booty call for some people, okay? I know, I know, I know. Look, I get it. This is inappropriate, but this is the best I can think of. Is when things get tough or whenever they need something, they're like, man, I'm gonna call the church. I'm gonna go stop it. I'm gonna say what's up. I'm gonna get, you know, uh, a little bit of relief. Whatever, okay? Whatever it is. I told, What? I thought we were adults here. I thought we could talk about this. All right, maybe not. But they, they really see the church as um, something to be used. And so they have commitment issues. They haven't fully embraced it. They haven't committed to it. Then you have the people who are on the opposite end in which I kind of call them church serial daters in which they won't commit to um, just one person. They'll like to kind of shop around. Yeah, we used to call them church hoppers. And they will go from church to church, and we know whoever can give me what I want this week. And so it's not like that. They both have commitment issues, but one's undercommitted and one's overcommitted. One is like, I, I go to church when I need it. The other one is like, I'm at church all the time. It's just a different church all the time. And if we were to go back to the family language within the scripture of what the church is supposed to be, the local church is supposed to be, if it is supposed to be a family, imagine taking these attitudes that we have towards church and applying them to a family. How unhealthy and dysfunctional would that family be? So the first person who is undercommitted, um, they're kind of like the deadbeat dad, where they show up, maybe they'll show up on holidays, they'll stop in on occasion, they'll make sure everything's okay, but they're not really there to invest long-term. There's nothing healthy about that relationship. They're just gonna stop in once in a while. So the undercommitted's kind of like the deadbeat dad, but then I see the overcommitted who um, wants to be a part of multiple different families as the person who, uh, it would be like this. Let's imagine that Amy, my wife, um, I started to tell her, hey babe, look, here's the deal. I love this family, great family, cute kids. Great, <laughs> you've done a great job with them. Um, but, I just want to like occasionally, maybe like once a week, maybe it's once a month, there is a family down the street that is so fun, okay? They are great. Their meals, incredible. You know, their house, a little nicer. And so I'm gonna stop in there. I wanna just be a part of that family, maybe once a week, maybe once a month. Is that gonna be a problem for you? What do you think her response would be in that moment? You're an idiot, get out, right? Like you are out of your mind because um, it wouldn't make sense for me to have multiple families because there's always work to be done in my family. There's always more time, more investments that I can make into my family. And so to say, oh, I want to be a part of this family and that family, well, no, that doesn't make any sense. You have to be a part of your family because you want to invest in them. You want to make them better. You want them to make you better. You're never going to find a church in which they say, you know what, we are good. You don't need to give us any more time or energy and investment. Relationally, we're full. Thank you. No, they're going to go, yeah, there's lots of people here. Invest in somebody. And then, of course, it's uh, to be a great ambassador. There's a, a famous quote, and I couldn't track down who actually said it, but it says that uh, the idea is you may be the only Bible that someone may ever read. 
And so um, ambassadors, when we go out, we're representing the kingdom. The only insight that they're gonna have is by seeing how you act, how you live, what your attitude is, what your mission in life is. And so we are supposed to represent Christ well. And of course, and this is the final one, is um, we are to make his kingdom bigger. Is you guys don't realize, but the age group that you're at right now has the ability to drastically change the trajectory of people's lives. Because I'm a little bit ahead of you guys. I'm about a life stage or two ahead of you. And the age that you are right now, you are about to make, and I actually have done series on this, and maybe we'll talk about this in the future, but in your 20s, you are going to make the decisions for almost all the big things in your life in the next 10 years, which is kind of terrifying. But you're going to probably decide who you're going to marry. You're going to figure out where you're going to live. You're going to make some decisions about your health. You're going to make decisions about your finances. And the rest of your life is you are going to be playing out those decisions. And it's very difficult to change the direction of your life after you have set those patterns in your 20s. And that's a scary thing for sure, but that's also a really exciting thing because that also means that you get to, um, you get to set some patterns in your life that are going to set you up for success. That, that is true um, health-wise, that is true financially, um, that is true in your career, but most importantly, that is true in your faith. And I could, do, I could do hours on this, but if I could just tell people, before they get married, before they commit to all that stuff, look, if you can just get your life on track, it is gonna change so much of your future because you're probably gonna marry somebody different because think about this, you're screwing up in your 20s and then you get married. Who do you think you're going to get married to? An awesome person? No, somebody just like you, a mess. That's not going to turn out very well. As you're setting patterns for your life and habits, do you think that you're setting great ones or really crappy ones? Probably some crappy ones. But if you can get those things in line in your 20s, it is going to set you up for huge success. And so the, the kind of the bottom line with this one is not only individually, but that means that we can also help people that we know um, change their life, not just their life here, but their life, uh, their eternal life, is we get to speak into them right now. And if we can do this while they're in their 20s, it's going to set them up for success as well. And so I, uh, I started a Bible study recently with some young professionals, and we've been talking about kind of what this looks like to be people who um, are, be, are, are bringing positive change into others' lives. And I came up with this really dumb, easy phrase, but it makes sense to me. And it was, be here and bring somebody. Be here and bring somebody. Super simple. There's nothing profound about that. Be here and bring somebody. But I would say that if you want to be a great ambassador, people who are, are making the kingdom bigger, is you got to be here. Be consistent. Show up. Even if you're tired, even if you got finals, even if you don't feel pretty that day, you know, whatever, okay? I didn't feel pretty today. I'm still here. Um, I haven't felt pretty ever, though. Uh, okay, be here and then bring somebody. You know somebody who can be here like next week. Text them, hit them up, tell them that they need to be here, but be here, be consistent, bring somebody. And I personally have got to witness when I did this ministry for lots of years, hundreds and hundreds of people's lives changed and you guys can do it again. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for how good you are to us. Uh, thank you for this place in which we get to come and we get to learn and we get to worship and we get to be around other people who are uh, heading in the same direction as us, Lord God, and yet there is a huge world out there, people who um, are actually living in opposition to you and they may not even know it. And so, Lord God, help us to be people who can bring change into their lives, Lord God, that if we can just um, 
we can be ambassadors for you. We can bring that message that you can grab a hold of people. Not only will you change their trajectory of their life, but you can change um, where they're going to be for eternity. And so, Lord God, use us. Let us uh, be people who uh, are out there representing you well. In your name we pray. Amen.